Welcome back, everybody, to episode 25 of the Back Lounge Podcast. My name is Tank. I'm your host, and I'm a roadie with over 16 years of experience in the touring music industry. And on this podcast, we just invite on other people from the music industry and talk about whatever. And for this latest episode, I had the absolute pleasure of bringing on a couple people that I absolutely love in the music industry. And each of them have been on the channel, the YouTube channel, uh, rather separately uh, in the past. But because they're working on a project together now, I decided to get them both at the same time. So today we are going to be talking to Hans Plotz and Melissa Bonney of The Dark Side of the Moon. Now, most of you listening might also know their other bands, Hans, the guitar player for the German band Feuerschwanz, and Melissa, the vocalist most notably from Ad Infinitum, but she's been a part of other projects as well, even just finished touring with Camelot. Like, both of these people are doing so much with their respective bands that I don't know how they have the time to do everything. And in this episode, I actually talked to them about it, and it was really cool, man. And this just goes along with what I've always talked about with European bands and musicians always working together. Like, you see that a ton with the European music scene, and it's really cool because we get a lot of cool projects about it. Now, The Dark Side of the Moon just released their first full-length studio album on May 12th. It's called Metamorphosis. Honestly, I was blown away by it. I expected to enjoy it, but I was really kind of stunned when I listened to it from start to finish But by how good it actually was. So if you haven't heard that album yet from start to finish, definitely go check that out. Uh, there's a mix of their own renditions of popular movie and video game music, but they also have original songs on it too. So it's really cool. And then uh, Hans with Feuerschwanz, I mean, they've been nonstop busy touring a ton. They've even announced tour dates for next year, 2024 already. Um, they've got Ordenogen and Angus McSix's support on that. So that's going to be really cool. And Feuerschwanz also has a brand new album coming out on July 7th, 2023. It's going to be called Fegafoya. And we have had some singles and releases from that already. So that's super cool. And then Melissa's other band, Ad Infinitum, released one of their brand new studio albums, uh, their third album, actually, called Chapter 3 Downfall. That came out uh, back in March, if I'm not mistaken. And if you're listening to the podcast on headphones, you can probably hear my dogs barking in the background right now. So just kind of how this stuff goes sometimes. But I want to get into this one for you guys because we had a great conversation. It's a little over an hour long for those of you that are doing things and wondering about time. But before we start that, there's just a good point to remind everybody that this podcast is available on multiple formats. You can watch the video versions on YouTube. You can also listen to just the audio on Spotify, Apple Music, Google, and anywhere else that you like to listen to podcasts. And if you'd like to support my channel or this podcast or anything, uh, you could check out merchandise, tankthetechmerch.com. There's some designs on there. I'm in the process of moving things over to another merchandise supplier and working on some new stuff, so be on the lookout for that. You could also sign up for Patreon if you would like to, patreon.com slash tankthetech. We've got a couple tiers with a couple bonus perks that you can get, like seeing the podcast and the videos early before they're released as well as having access to a private Discord channel and stuff like that. But just know that that stuff is not necessary. I do appreciate if you do it, though. It does help the channel out. But 
mostly I just appreciate you guys taking the time to watch and listen to these episodes and my content. But now that that's all out of the way, let's just get into this one. Let's kick off episode 25 of the Back Lounge podcast. Coming back to the channel again, I think first time on the podcast, though. Welcome, Melissa Bonnie and Hans Plotz. How are you guys? Great. Good. Great and tired. <laughs> tired, I, yeah. I, I can only imagine. And that was the one thing about this, this podcast that I thought was going to be interesting is because you two and and all all your bandmates and the bands you're in with are some of the busiest people that I see like I, I probably don't even know everything that you guys are doing because you're just so non-stop I mean have you guys been able to get some rest since you've been home at all not really I mean no. Morden and I arrived home yesterday evening so <laughs> yesterday yeah oh I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> And Hans, you yeah. arrived yesterday morning as well, right? Yesterday morning, yeah. We had yeah. a two bus, so we were driving through the night and arrived yesterday morning. But you know those two buses, you don't really sleep that deep because it's constantly shaking and vibrating and snoring. <laughs> you don't you, you don't sleep well on a bus? Uh, so, well, sooner or later you sleep deep yeah. because you're so tired that you're eventually you will sleep <laughs> yeah but it, it needs some adjustment i think and i w wake up every now and then depending on the driver actually we, we replaced the driver during the tour because the first driver thought he has to be at the at the goal in the in, at the city as fast as possible mm. <clears throat> instead of driving very slow to let us sleep so yeah so yeah We've had situations like that too, especially with, uh, we had one bus driver that we had to replace once that just, he always had a habit of hitting the, the rumble strips on the shoulder mm. of the road Ooh. to the point mm. where we, we started calling him rumble stiltskin. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> he eventually got replaced, but I've, I've always slept decent on a bus, mm, but now too. I'm curious that I've been home for so long that once I do go back out on tour, like hard this summer, I wonder how I'm going to sleep, but I had no idea you guys had just gotten home that quick because when all these mm. things are set up, it's just like, oh, yeah, they have time now. I assumed you've been home for a bit. So thank <laughs> you even more for being here. Sure. <laughs> of course. But uh, let's there's there's so much to get through with this because I want to I want to talk about everything you guys have been working on. But let's talk about the big main thing first. The Dark Side of the Moon album Metamorphosis finally came out on Friday, uh, yeah. May 12th, because this podcast will come out later. And it is phenomenal. Like, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I When it came out, I knew I was going to sit and listen to it. I knew I was going to like it because I, I like you guys and I liked what I've heard. But I did not expect that record to blow me away that hard. It's fantastic from start to finish. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks a lot. I mean, even just the, the choices of the track listing like is just a perfect flow from start to finish. And I had moments where I was sitting here listening to it, where I couldn't help, but just kind of like, like smile a bit at certain parts because the mixing on it was fantastic. Of course it would be because Jacob Hansen did everything correct. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> you know, but God, it was just awesome. And now that it's out, I just really want to know, like, because you guys put a lot of time into it. How are you guys feeling with it? Are you are you happy with the release? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> we are super happy. The reactions so far have been really overwhelming. 
all the reviews and what people are writing. And it's such a long time where you, to record, to do such, such an album. And then it's out and it's so exciting to see the, the reactions of everybody, the YouTube comments, the Facebook comments, everything. And we, we read it <laughs> and yeah, it's fantastic. And we are yeah. very proud of it actually. Yeah. I think it was especially um, um, heartwarming to see people singing lyrics in the audience for our first four shows. It was like, I remember during the, the first show being like, what people are, are really singing the, <laughs> the lyrics already. And, and uh, it's just, just crazy to see how much support we're getting from everyone and the response. It's just like Hans said. <laughs> yeah. And it's I, for people that didn't know, I mean, you're, your first show as a band with the dark side of the moon was was it the 11th right before the record release yeah and it was it was with Feuerschwanz, correct yes so so I, and on two different levels like i want to know more about that show because you guys have your own bands and other projects and stuff so you're no strangers to the stage but uh for each of you was it uh, did you have a little bit of nervousness to do that <laughs> first show? Oh my show? god! Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not just a little bit. Uh, really, the closer it came, the more my stomach started to growl. The whole week before, I was uh, got got super excited and anxious about it. Yeah. But um, and then so much preparation, which you don't see. You know, getting all the all the tech technical guys uh, on board to get. The T-shirts for for merch to, to get so much emails to write and to organize and but as soon as we did soundcheck, my nervousness went into adrenaline somehow because it's at soundcheck I realized yes we still it's still working <laughs> <laughs> I still can I'm, I'm able to play guitar <laughs> yeah I think I was as nervous as I was the first time my very first band played a, a big show. I was like completely, uh, I don't know, out of my comfort zone because, you know, new band, new songs. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but it's like, like Hans said, the moment we arrived on stage and we started and we, and, and we, and the exchange of energy with the crowd started, it's, it just turned into adrenaline and, and it was great. Yeah. And that's true. I, I, I didn't remember being nervous at all before, so. <laughs> Usually I'm excited or um, yes, let's go on stage, even for big shows like Wacken or something when you first play in Wacken. Yeah. But in this case, that was, wow, that was crazy. <laughs> and especially opening for my other band, it's like <laughs> another level of pressure, you know, you know, you know, all those guys there and they will watch and they will, okay, <laughs> that's, that's a new band. Okay. I see, you know, yeah. um, so I was yeah, it was a bit of a pressure there, but it worked out fantastic. I mean, the people have been so welcoming and cheered us up. It was The energy was really, really, really crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I saw people talking about it online um, well before you guys played. Like people that were saying they were going to that show were, were super excited about it. And I, I love that you guys both talk about being nervous because that's such a such a cool thing to hear in the music industry because I, I think a lot of people think after a while everybody musicians and even crew and stuff we just get immune to it and we're just like eh, it's a show whatever but 
I mean, at the end of the day, everybody's still human. There are some things that are just going to emotionally get to you and make you feel those things. And I, I just think that's fantastic. And, you know, with the dark side of the moon, it's not like nobody knows each other. You know, even I would imagine, you know, with with, you know, Morton and Jenny in the band, too, it's like. All the other bands know each other. I'm sure it was a big, you know, support moment. Did you have, did you have like Feuerschwanz like side stage, like watching the whole show or anything? <laughs> Some of them were, I think, oh yeah, yeah, actually. The very first show I spotted uh, Jana in the crowd and I think uh, Rollo was next, next to the stage uh obviously johanna joined us on stage mm -hmm. so there was like i don't remember because when you're in the in the in the show you don't really scan the crowd and yeah, recognize yeah. everyone but but i remember seeing familiar faces and it's so nice because you can see that they care yeah and ben was watching the whole soundtrack i think yeah, yeah true 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 <laughs> that's so cool yeah. um so when it comes to the dark side of the moon, I mean, we've we've heard um, you guys have talked about like the story of how the band has formed a ton and we've talked about it on here. So for anybody that's not familiar, it was basically a, a bet and that was the short version of it. But um, <laughs> there was one thing I was curious about and it, it's actually the name of the band. When it comes to the dark side of the moon, I think, I mean, right away in the music world, that name rings a big bell for a lot of people. Um for me personally, I was curious, have you guys run into any problems with that name just because of the Pink Floyd album name or anything like that? Or is there anything weird that's happened or no? No, I mean, you can't <clears throat> copyright the dark side of the moon. Yeah. Just because it's the moon, obviously, you can't, you can't yeah. copyright the moon or the sun, you know, it's such a much bigger thing than a yeah. album name. Even so, of course, we respect the album and it's a great album and Pink Floyd is an awesome name. But for us, it's a metaphor for what we are doing. Like we're showing the people the other side of the songs they seem to know, and we're showing them the, the dark side you don't see. You always see the bright side, but we're showing them the other hidden side. Yeah. That is fantastic. I didn't even think about that. Now that I know that, it actually makes it a lot cooler because to, to most people that know, you know, uh, you know, half that album was those renditions of, you know, songs that a lot of people recognize. Um, I mean, there was, I'll tell you what, I never expect, expected to hear a, uh, like kind of a meddled up version of like the Hedwig theme from Harry Potter. The second that <laughs> came on, my wife was in the room because we, we share an office up here and she, she weaves and does artwork. And right when it came on, she was like, wait, is that what I think it is? And I was like, yep. <laughs> yep. And it's, and it, I mean, God, I could talk about this album the whole podcast because there's so many things I want to ask and I want to talk about other things. But one of the things I noticed, and this is specifically for you, Melissa, I know in the music industry and especially like like being a woman in metal and stuff like that, a lot of people talk about and expect harsh vocals. Like that's one of the big things that everybody always hears. Yeah. I don't think, if I remember right, on that whole album, while there was some layered in the background – there weren't any like lead standout harsh vocals until at least three quarters of the way through that album. And I think there were only two songs that Wait, actually let featured me think. it. Uh, Jenny of Old Stones. And that's what, the last track uh, of the record? And yeah, Priscilla. And Priscilla. Mm -hmm. I don't remember. The, there, are some, there are hanging some tree. in the witch. Yeah, the hanging tree. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah. There are some hidden like back backing vocals in the the Witcher, uh, the Witcher, the um, If I Had a Heart. Yes. I and in that. Double Trouble. But yeah, it's definitely not like uh, it's not growl dominated. Definitely not. Yeah, and that's that's the one thing I was really um, uh, I, I noticed because <laughs> when it comes from a vocal standpoint for you. Obviously, you're known for both your your mm -hmm. clean voice, which is beautiful, and then the harsh tones, which we hear on a lot of other stuff that you've done. When you approach vocals for a project like this, do you do you ever have those thoughts that like, oh, I need to sing like this on this part, or does it just come natural when you're just doing it like whatever you feel in the moment? It comes naturally. Um, like there, there are some parts that call for harsh vocals, and there are some parts that's you know, work better with, with clean vocals. And also I have to say that I can do a lot more with cleans because there's, it's like you have this whole spectrum and the harsh vocals is just a little part of it. And then there's all the other techniques mm -hmm. that you can use as a vocalist. And I, I think for me, there's, I put a lot more work into clean vocals. For me, growls is more like the, the, the easy part of the job um which i think should be used only when necessary because i don't want it to turn into a gimmick like oh that's what she does to impress people you know what mm -hmm. i mean it, it has to serve the song yeah and i i, I i'm glad you use the word gimmick because unfortunately yeah. i don't want to suggest that any artists are doing it as a gimmick but there are times where that's how it's taken by certain people like no. we we see and i see this as a youtuber a lot where somebody tells you to check out a metal band that has, you know, a, a, a female vocalist and you kind of automatically assume the reason that everybody mm. wants you to see it is because she's going to be screaming at some point. Yeah. They want the shock value and stuff like that. And for me personally, that, that has kind of worn off at this point. Yeah. Like I would much, don't get me wrong. I love my metal, but I would much rather hear those like beautiful parts that we got in this album with less harsh vocals, especially for something like this. Mm -mm. Um, but you know, it's fantastic. And some of the guest spots on it too. Yeah. Uh, Fabian was on there. And then the first time I listened, I didn't have the track list up. Like mm -hmm. I like to listen without knowing what I'm going to get into and immediately heard Tom England's voice and was just like, what? Like, you know, <laughs> like, and your voices sound so good together on that song. Thank you. Yeah, he did such a great job. I mean, he did more than just singing. You know, his interpretation brings you to the Misty Mountains. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, Evergrey has become one of one of my favorite bands in the last few years and just hearing him on there and stuff like that. And then the other thing too, and I, I want to move to Hans really quick. And I've already... I, I already probably give you too much credit. <laughs> like there are so many times where I really do believe this. I, I don't, I don't just say this because you're here. I really think that to me, you are one of the best guitar players that okay. I, in, in any band that I've been listening to lately. And it blows my mind that you're not brought up in conversation more. There were parts on that album when you were doing guitar leads where I was just sitting here like smiling because I was the one the tones that you achieved on that album are are, are amazing. But you. the the thing I like about your playing, <laughs> the thing I like about your playing on this album and in, in Feuerschwanz and tons of other things is you can hear the feel in your playing. A lot of people just shred to shred. Mm -hmm. 
But what I love <laughs> about cool. this album in particular is that I can feel your your playing and your emotion in that. And um, I just really wanted to, to give you props for that because it's it's the playing is just fantastic. Thank you. Thank, thank you so much. And yeah. especially this is because um, that's what I want to do. I don't want to play for guitar players. I want to play for everybody, you know, and I, even though I don't have lyrics on my guitar, I try to create a story which takes the listener yeah. somewhere, even though it's just a melody. And that's what I try to achieve. But that's the ultimate goal, basically, for me. Yeah. Yeah. And basic, basically, what you said earlier about the growling part for Melissa, it's like if you would, as a guitar player, sweep pick everything from beginning to start. <laughs> and it's just, <laughs> it's just a small bit of dynamic expression, I think, that's mm. the growling. And so if you do it too much, it gets boring. But if you do it at the right place, it's maybe it transports the exact feeling you, you want to transport. Yeah. That, that's a really good like analogy for that. I'm going to have to remember that because I've said a million times, there are guitar players out there that are just absolute shredders that can arpeggio and sweet pick and play faster than anybody. But after a while that just loses it with me. It's like, I, I want feel and emotion and like, you know, melody in the guitar and not saying that, you know, you can't do that while you're shredding, but just after a while, like you said, you're playing for everyone and not just other guitar players. There are definitely bands I can listen to that you know it's like the biggest fans of these bands are other musicians because they are listening to what's going on and they're like, oh, wow, that's cool. The normal person, and this is just fact, this is nothing against anybody that listens to music because not everybody's going to know music theory and terminology. The normal person doesn't know what an arpeggio or what goes into sweet picking or anything like that. They're just hearing it. Exactly. So, <clears throat> but that's the biggest goal, I think, to reach the heart of the of the normal person. You know. Mm -hmm. So when you go yeah. ahead, sorry. No, sorry. Uh, well, when you <laughs> when you worked on this album, did you do it like you normally do it? Like, did you record everything there where you are now and just send yes. everything in? Sitting right here where I'm sitting now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then for you, Melissa, did you did you go um, anywhere for vocal production or anything like that? Or did you do everything on your own and then send it in? I recorded with Jacob. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. I imagine that's got to be an interesting experience because, I mean, it, it for a lot of Americans, I don't think they really are aware of Jacob's pedigree. But in Europe, oh. I mean, you hear his name and you just, you, you know, it's going to yeah, sound yeah. good. Uh, what's that experience like being in his studio and recording with him? Oh, it's great because, um, first of all, he is an amazing person and he just makes you feel super comfortable when you're recording with him. So for me, um, you know, being in a comfortable environment is very important, especially when you're the kind of person who is very hard on yourself because, you know, you start to push yourself and you need to, to be in the comfort zone in certain comforts to to um to try things um without being afraid of trying in front of someone because that's that's a very vulnerable place and jacob i've been recording now with him for a few years so if my voice goes somewhere it's not supposed to go to i'm i feel very confident that he will not make fun of me you know <laughs> 
And um, yeah, it's just, first of all, it's very, very, very comfortable to just have to sing and not record, edit and all that. He does this perfectly. And he, and it's always fun with him because, you know, there's this little ritual when you arrive. Um, usually we chat a little bit, have tea, coffee. Uh, in the middle of the day, there's cake or whatever. So it's, <laughs> it's like, it's a very, very comfortable situation to record. <laughs> yeah. Recording Next vibe. Time Next time I will go there as well. At yeah. Least mixing, at least for mixing or something. I heard so much about that coffee that I have to. Mix. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, dude. I mean, vibe, vibe while you're recording is a big thing. Like when yeah. I when I first moved to Nashville, when I wasn't touring, I worked as a production assistant at a studio, and when we'd have bands come in, our producer would give me a list of things that like the band had requested to make them feel. <laughs> comfortable and you know oh. just specifically talking about vocals for one thing it's like you know we'd get certain drinks or whatever the vocalist wanted but i there was one band that i worked for where i like decked out the entire vocal booth and it almost looked like this really gothic like there was tapestries on the walls and they had me light candles and stuff and that's oh, the shit. vibe that they wanted to be comfortable in so it's it, it, it it's interesting to see, especially working for so many bands, like what kind of environment makes the bands that you're working with comfortable because mm -mm. that does play a big part into a lot of that. Crazy. Yeah. Was Marilyn Manson? Was it Marilyn no. Manson? <laughs> no, it was actually a Christian band. Oh, really? Because I heard <laughs> yeah. the story about we once played a festival here in Germany and Marilyn Manson was playing the other day or the day before. And apparently it was requested that his backstage room was all in black <laughs> mm -hmm. that's that's a thing like i i've had friends that uh i i had a production assistant friend that did a tour with marilyn manson once and said that uh his entire dressing room has to be lined with like black um i think they were just using like tarps or like visqueen or sort of like you know they were just lining black sheets on all the walls and stuff like that and i also heard that uh, he prefers his dressing room to be like freezing cold. So they bring in like mobile industrial air conditioners That's and they, they keep his dressing room at like 50 degrees, which I mean, Celsius, you're talking like, that's like 15. Oh, that's interesting. I, yeah. I would hate it as a vocalist, but or, or ten, 10 Celsius, sorry, 10 Celsius <laughs> dressing yeah. room. That's, that's what I would figure because I've, I've worked for artists that if it's like, too cold in a room i'm like they're sitting on the bus with a humidifier all day until they go inside you know mm. so some of that i wonder how much with some artists though some of that is like because marilyn manson has a very specific image i wonder how much of mm -hmm. that is just exactly feeding into image. the the allure yeah. and the image yeah, yeah. of marilyn yeah, manson you absolutely. know it's, yeah so that kind of stuff i always think about too but one of the one of the big things i've thought about with uh, the dark side of the moon as well and i'm curious um, I'm sure this started because you, you both have other bands and you're both super busy. I'm sure this started in mind as the idea of like what we would call a side project, but the dark side of the moon seems to me like this is a very serious project that you're going to put a lot of time into. How, how are you going to, how do you guys all get together? And it's not just you two, you know, Morton's doing Amaranth, like, how do you guys even find the time to all get together and and write or perform or anything? Like, how is this going to work in the future for you guys? Well, we will we we will make it happen some somehow. You yeah. know, we are already talking about 
about touring and there's some serious talks already <laughs> happening <laughs> combined with some late night whiskey drinks and <laughs> then <laughs> we're playing two festivals this year and we hopefully will plan and we will play much more after the album is out and people start to know us better and mm -hmm. yeah we already did put a lot of work in it so of course we have to somehow yeah to take the fruits as well of the work of yeah. the labor yeah i mean you guys should, at this point you guys should just do a tour with a package of the dark side of the moon Feuerschwanz, and amaranth and then everybody's there and you guys that just... would be perfect <laughs> that would be perfect <laughs> well the other thing too uh, i mean <laughs> Then you got to start thinking about though, like endurance and stuff. Each of you guys would have to perform two sets a night, which is right. probably not that great in terms of. I mean, especially especially for you, Melissa. I mean, you've got if you do one full show vocally and then have to go do another one. I mean, that's I imagine that's got to be pretty challenging. That's uh yeah yep <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, and depends on the length of the show, and you know, I think I also realized what's difficult for me is to perform one set, rest, and then go back on stage. Like for example, these shows, um, I was joining Feuerschwanz on stage after uh, during their encore, which was maybe two hours after our set, mm -hmm. and I remember the the the, um, the first day I arrived next to the stage, and I'm like, huh. Am I still warm? <laughs> so it's like you perform, you have the adrenaline, then you cool down and they're like, uh. <laughs> mm -hmm. and it's, there's also a certain sense of, for me working for bands, um, you know, it's very popular in a lot of the industries um, in the U S touring for the headlining band to have one of the vocalists from the opening bands come out at some point and do a song with them mm -hmm. and I've seen that happen where like the artist that I've been working for was an opener on a tour and somewhere in the headliner set, they need to go out and not that they don't enjoy doing it, but there are some times where I could tell it's like, we've already finished our show. They're relaxed and they're not warm anymore. And they're already in that I'm done for the night mentality. And then I go get them and I'm like, Hey, we got to be back on stage in five minutes. And they're like, Right. <laughs> well, it okay. was it was uh, it was not difficult because it's always super fun. It was more in in terms of um, of a performance that I had to you know re warm up and and uh, you know for example with our set we put the the hardest songs at the end because then I'm not not the hardest songs let's say the we the the song where I have the highest notes comes on the second part of the set mm. because then I'm warm etc. So when you cool down. And you go back on stage for a guest performance that potentially you have to to be full on. It's like, uh, it's, it's you're five minutes before you're like, okay, I'm ready. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I imagine that's that's probably the most difficult part. I mean, it'd be like you know, warming up, going and doing you know, working out for an hour, and then taking a break, and then having to do it all over again without being warm. I mean, that wouldn't be, you know, that'd be challenging for anybody is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> um, yep. Now, what? so recently, Melissa, you were, you were uh, out traveling with Camelot. 
Mm-hmm. Um, how, how intensive, uh, was it for you on that tour? Were you pretty much singing the entire set or was it specific songs? I was singing, um, depending on the set list, seven or eight songs per night. Okay. How, how is it like traveling as a guest? Obviously I'm sure you know some of them, but how is it like traveling as a guest, um, it's, just for a tour like that? It's great. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so great. I mean, first of all, the guys from Camelot, they are, they're just very, very nice and, and thoughtful. And, and I had the, the, the easiest time cause you know, I didn't have any, um, responsibility in terms of organization or except from you know getting to the tour and getting from back home (laughs) so i i i had a very very good time and i it it was very comfortable and and i don't know i've said it um before but camelot is a band that inspired me a lot so it was also very very cool to to perform on stage some songs that i already knew from listening to them or seeing Camelot on stage. It was really, really nice. Oh, that's cool. And that was, was that, <laughs> I, there's so much going on that I, I read everything I see and I sometimes forget. Was that tour South America? Uh, so we did South America and then Europe. Okay. So you did the Europe one too? Yeah. Oh, that's wild. I've actually still never toured South America. How do you enjoy that? It was, uh, you know what? I thought it would be super tough because you fly from mm-hmm. from between every show actually and i was prepared for really you know hardcore schedule with like 2 hours of sleep then going to the airport and in fact it was a lot easier than i thought and it was my first time ever in south america so i really like it, i was both enjoying the experience of touring in south america and being con- sort of a tourist there mm-hmm. and we had we had great experience with great people and it's so different than Europe. For example, first time, um, like the first day was in, I think Santiago in Chile and, and we arrived at the airport and there's some fans waiting and I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> oh, Hey, welcome to Chile. And I'm like, what, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then at the, at the hotel and then at the venue and it was so crazy and so like heart heartwarming. I've only, I've only seen that once I worked for a band. And when we went to the Philippines, we did a show in Manila and it was Uh the same thing. I Uh was, I've never seen this before ever, but when we walked out of the front doors of the airport, there were fans at like 11 o'clock at night with signs like, welcome. We can't wait to see you. And I was like, wow. Like, (laughs) that's why I, I always think like, especially and obviously the European music market and the North American music market are different, but I, I feel like people in North America sometimes are spoiled because you don't really see that that much unless it's like mm-hmm. a massive, like if you're Taylor Swift, you'll see that. Um, <laughs> but this was like, this band I was working for was like what I would consider like a mid-level rock band. And it's like, we're going to other countries and you see that. Mm-hmm. So like, to I'm, I'm sure to see that. I, I've heard so much about South American crowds and how crazy they are. And like, we've seen videos and stuff. And I could only imagine that some of those shows were just probably just the, the highest energy you've probably seen in a while. It's insane. I told the guys, it felt like being in a football stadium because of how loud people were. Yeah. Crazy. That's wild, man. Yeah. The, Hans, have you, have you done South American touring? No. <laughs> no. Yeah. <clears throat> No, Feuerschwanz is limited. 
For quite a while, you have been limited German-speaking countries, and you don't fly to Austria or Switzerland. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but yeah, but just recently we went to Spain, and we will return to Spain. So we are expanding within Europe slowly to yeah. non-German-speaking countries. <laughs> I mean, the tour that you guys just did was was pretty long. I mean, the the Memento Mori tour, and you know, you had a lot of different guests. I know War Kings was on the whole thing, and then it, towards the end, Dark Side of the Moon opened, and then you also had Angus Mix Six and stuff like that. But it was a pretty it was a pretty extensive tour. And for, from what I'm seeing for, over from North America is. Um, a lot of these of, of bands in your genre of music or German speaking bands and stuff like that are, are starting to travel a lot more, which is really cool. Um, you know, that, that tour for you guys, I mean, you already mentioned Spain. I mean, what other, what other countries are, are you guys actually hitting now with like the last album coming out and stuff? Well, this summer we will go to Italy for a festival. Oh, cool. And again to Spain and again to Czech Republic. And hopefully to France, maybe. And yeah, so we slowly expand within the non-German speaking countries in Europe. But yeah, but the, the nice thing about Germany is if you're starting or growing as a band in Germany, you basically can, you just played 19 shows within like five weeks or four, yeah, five weeks. And within, and that was Germany, one show in Austria, three shows in one show in Switzerland and three shows in Austria. So that's a full tour and almost of all of the shows have been sold out almost. So that's quite a lot, you know. I mean, there the... are lots of venues you can play and there are lots of people in Germany. So there's a very great, good foundation to, to survive as a band. Or, yeah. I feel like the German music market right now is, is kind of exploding because quite a few years ago, you know, obviously North America, I mean, well, the whole world, it's not even arguable that we could say Rammstein is the, the biggest German band. I mean, everybody in the world at this point is familiar. But in my discovery of music, I've started learning about other German bands that are massive. Like uh, a, a a good example of that is like Die Erste. Like oh, oh. <laughs> never heard of them in my life really? until I started doing YouTube because they don't have a North American presence. Yeah, but I watch their videos and it's like arenas and stadiums and it's like. Sure. But I think they already played their farewell tour. I think I'm not sure. I I, I believe you, they did, but you might be behind a little bit. <laughs> oh, I do, dude. I'm so behind because even when I was growing up, the only German bands like metal bands that I was really aware of were. Rammstein, obviously, because when when Duhast came out in North America, it was over like everybody. <laughs> that was that was a number one song in the US on rock radio for like a year. Wow. Um, and then surprisingly, Heaven Shall Burn was the only other German band okay. that I really knew because they were on Century Media Records and they would send out the sampler CDs back in the day and they were on one of the sampler CDs. But doing this YouTube channel, I have been just discovering so many bands where it really hit me recently. I was like, I think Germany might have one of the biggest metal markets or not even just metal, just music in general that like nobody in North America knows about. Because every month I'm discovering a new band where I'm just like, where have I been with this? Like, it's 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 <laughs> crazy. So to see all these bands starting to be popular in North America now is wild. Like, you know, Melissa, when you were talking about visiting South America for the first time, it, it 
made me remember like I love working for bands that are traveling places for the first time to get to see their experience. Mm -hmm. And um, in February and March, I was guitar teching for Powerwolf over here when they came here. Mm. So getting to be with them and watching them experience North America for the very first time was a very cool thing because there were some things that they were blown away about and, you know, um, but the shows were wild. It's first time in the U.S. I think almost every single show sold out in advance. And now you've got the same thing going on with Electric Callboy. I think 14 of their 17 shows in North America are sold out. and The tour doesn't start for three months. Uh, like Lord of the Lost said that they're coming here next year. Like we're starting to get a lot more international bands coming over here more. And the shows are doing better than a lot of American bands shows are doing. So a lot of stuff's changing. It's wild. Yeah. Yeah. And I would love, you know, I, we, Hans, we talked last time. I would love for Feuerschwanz to get over here. And I think at this point, you guys would probably have a very, very good turnout for those shows. And, um, you know, I would imagine, you know, Melissa, for you guys, and I got to ask, this is a constant argument on my Discord, my channel, whatever. Do you pronounce your band name? I knew ad it. infinitum <laughs> or ad infinitum? Ad infinitum. That, thank you. Okay. Because it is a common thing to hear people say ad, ad infinitum a lot. But I've heard you say ad infinitum, and when I say it on my channel... There's always like 20 comments where people are like, it's pronounced the other way. And I'm like, okay. Well, I I go with the Latin version because it's Latin. So mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I People can call the band whatever they want as long as they, they enjoy the music and they, they come to concerts. <laughs> well, that's, like, right. that's like with my dad with Feuerschwanz. Uh, like I, every... Every time I talk to my dad and I've corrected him a million times and he, he loves the band, oh, really? he, but he doesn't, he doesn't know any German. So I think he always says, uh, Fierschwanz. <laughs> and I'm like, and at this point I've, I'm just done correcting him. I'm just like, yeah, I know what you're talking about, you know, whatever. <laughs> but for, for, for you guys with Ad Infinitum, like, um, you know, the record came out March, I think, right. It was like March 31st or something yes. like that. Yeah. Um, fantastic album. And ag again, it's one of those that, you know, with the people that are credited on it, we knew it was going to sound good and it's fantastic. Um, I saw that you've got some dates coming up with like Arch Enemy over the summer and yeah. other stuff like that. I mean, it's just, again, it doesn't stop with you guys, but when you, when you get dates like that with a band yeah. like that, how, how different is your set list going to be? Do you guys really rethink that for the crowd or do you just go up there and do your thing? No, we really think about this because um, now we have three albums, so it's um, easier to sort of feature, like to to create an atmosphere depending on on the kind of events we are playing at. And definitely, I mean, we already t started talking about the set list um, for those shows and picking maybe the, let's say, some of the songs featuring the heavier breakdowns or the more harsh vocals or, you know, to, to kind of set the tone for the evening and not be like, oh, let's play all of our ballads. Yeah. And then Arch Enemy comes on stage and we're like, <laughs> puppies, you know? <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. I'd be surprised. I've, I've seen some bands do that where they're just like, yeah. 
you know, the headlining band is going to be heavier than hell. So let's play our not heavy songs and see how it goes. Yeah. I mean, it's like when I when I talked to Chris Harms about the dates they did with Iron Maiden, I was like, mm. how much do you switch up your set list? And he was like, there were there were a few days of moving things around because we could tell there were moments at the start where some of the crowd was just not into yeah. it and we yeah. would just have to change it. And you know, I think a lot of the times the bands I've worked for is once they pick their set list, they kind of stick with it. But there are, there are those times where you, you need to constantly adapt to the crowd because if something's not working, mm. you know, at the end of the day, you are playing. You should be playing what the crowd wants to hear. Yeah. Even though I know there's songs that artists absolutely hate playing every night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there are songs. Like, for example, there's one particular song that, I don't know, for some reason, we um, it's, it's a little bit trickier live. And we're like... After um, la the last festival season, I think we said, yeah, now when we got new material, the song is out of the set list. And then we're like, okay, maybe for the Arch Enemy shows, we can <laughs> put it back on. <laughs> yeah. That's that's so fun, man. I mean, <clears throat> I'm, I'm excited that I've started getting back out on tour. So hearing these tour stories from you guys is like really making me excited for the summer. Because the Power Wolf thing I did was the first time I've been on the road in almost three years hmm. and um, the electric cowboy thing will be interesting as well. And that, that tour is interesting to me because you know, when you go like we were talking about you guys opening for arch enemy, you look at bills with openers and sometimes, you know, things usually make sense. And one hmm. of the openers that we have in the electric cowboy tour is a band I've never heard of that are from Sweden that I was like, I was just like, this is so interesting to, to be doing a North American tour and the direct support band is a Swedish band that's like fairly new that I've never heard of. But at the same time, those are really cool situations for those bands because they might open up to a, to a pretty big audience. Mm. Um, is that, do you think that's going to be a situation on the Arch Enemy stuff or do you think there's already probably a pretty big fan crossover at that point? Like do a lot of their fans probably know you guys already? No, I think that definitely we, we go there with this, the, um, with, the goal to conquer new new fans who maybe have never ever heard of an infinitum before mm -hmm. because they are more into the harsher metal mm -hmm. let's say yeah but i think that i also think that some arch enemy fans are interested in uh, um in lots of different kind of bands metal bands for example, I can see it um, on Patreon when I talk to people and they're like, oh, I follow Arch Enemy and uh, An Infinitum and Feuerschwanz and uh, because they, they just like music. And as as long as it's something that that reaches them in a certain way, that touches them in a certain way, they, they will like it and they're curious. So I think that we will not be strangers to everyone, but definitely to a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I mean, <clears throat> that's a good thing though. I mean, if it, you know, when you're on an opening slot, if you can win over one person in that crowd, that's the goal. And because you never know how many people that one person is going to tell about your band too. Yeah. 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 Um, the, the other thing I was curious about, because we've talked about you guys being in so many bands and doing different things. It seems to me that um, the European music market, because a lot of you guys are closer together as well. Um, it seems like everybody 
is mm-hmm. insanely connected. Not just the bands, but the crews and stuff too. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Because, I mean, even we've, we've talked about, you know, both of you, but even members of your other bands are doing other things. I mean, everybody's always busy and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess it's just the time, the timing thing just blows my mind with you guys. Like, I just don't <laughs> understand how you guys are able to do all this, but even the crews, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Hans, um, your front yes. of house engineer, yes. is it Felix? Yeah, he's our main front of house engineer too. Yeah, he's he's a powerful front of house engineer, right? We made that we made mm. it through that whole tour together. And the tour manager, Tom Tom, you know Tom Tom? Yeah, our, our production manager, Tom Tom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he made monitor at one of the uh, three or four of the shows for. No five. way! Yeah, those guys were so nice. But we made we made it through that whole tour, and Felix, he kind of mentioned that he had done stuff with. Feuerschwanz before, but he didn't tell me he was going to be doing that tour. And I think it was Ben on Instagram was like, oh, Felix says hi. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> so it's like everybody works for everybody. And then the the funniest thing is I asked the Powerwolf people um, like their camp. I was like, just out of curiosity, like, why am I here? What like <laughs> what? Why didn't you bring your own guitar tech? And they're like, well, our guitar tech is actually in another band that's touring right now. They're like, you know who Ghost Kid is? And I was like, yes, because I'm friends with Sebastian as well. And they're like, yeah, that's like, Yapo is our normal guitar tech. So it's like, that's kind of mind blowing to me too, that a lot of people that are in bands are also working for other bands when they're not touring. Like that's not as normal over here. Yeah, so. I think you see that quite often, but if you're yeah, a musician and a not, a smaller band, yeah. That I mean, you have to earn a living as well. So, yep. I know some people doing front of house for other bands and doing running their own bands. And I think Melissa, your drummer from Ed Infinitum, did the same for quite a while. He did, yeah, for a while. For example, during the tour um, we did with Amaranth and uh, Beyond the Black and Butcher Babies, he was also in the um, Beyond the Black crew. Oh, wow. I knew he had teched. I just didn't know that he was like doing it while you were touring. It was wild. He's this guy. He's like, I don't know if he knows what sleep means. Yeah. I mean, at that point, there's got to be a love of it because I'll tell you right now, as much as I loved playing music when I was younger, I I love working for bands. Like I love working on instruments. So I I would imagine it's got to be the same. Like he probably loves playing, but also loves doing that too, if he's doing both. Yeah, I mean, and he's also teaching. I mean, Nick is, he's the, you know, he, he, he touches everything in the music business. He, he, he's an incredible musician and not only drummer, but also guitar player. He's a singer too. He's a teacher of all the instruments you can think of probably. Um, And it's funny because I just got a notification from him on my, my screen. (laughs) It's like, he heard it. (laughs) Hey, Nick. (laughs) And he's been teching and he's producing recording. I mean, he's one of those talented people. (laughs) The more more I hear from, from European artists about this kind of stuff, I feel like, like another example, uh, rule from Powerwolf. I, I was helping him with his drums every day on that tour. And he was telling me when they're home, he's, he's teaching. Like he's, he's just doing lessons and teaching nonstop. And I'm just like, that's even crazy for me, for a band the size of Powerwolf that when he's not touring, he's teaching because I feel like the more I hear about this, 
I feel like in, in North America, there's an image thing where people want to be rock stars and there's something, there's something about only being in a band and not doing anything else that people feel like if, if they achieve that, then, you know, they sound like rock stars where on the flip side of that, I see all these people in Europe that when they're off tour, they're just doing other things they love doing that involves music, like teaching or teching or something like that. And, you know, Hans, I got to imagine, you know, you got a room full of gear when you're probably off tour, you're probably working on a ton of other stuff too. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, I mean, you have to get occupied and, and you have to pay your rent, obviously. Yep. And, and to be honest, you know, like it's not 20 years ago and yeah. CD sales went down and you don't get that much of money anymore. And I personally, I think the times of those rock stars you mentioned are, are over. You, I agree. Aren't these kind of rock stars anymore. Maybe the big ones like Metallica or something, but they went big like last, yeah, last century, you know, last millennium. Even. Yeah. And yeah, and you have to be creative about other things. And But it's not necessarily a bad thing, I think, to, to, to go into other fields and experience other things just instead of just just being in that one band, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was, I was having this conversation, um, on one of my previous podcasts, I had two of the guys from brand to sacrifice on, and we were kind of talking about that, how it's been, it's been about 20 years now, if you really think about it, since the last time there were like rock or metal artists that were just larger than life. And it was like kind of the new metal movement in the early two thousands, you know, where, you had bands, you know, you like Limp Bizkit that was just mainstream on the covers of everything and stuff like that. Like we haven't seen that in a long time. And I think a big part of that is um, the culture element to it. You know, one of the, one of the guys from Brand of Sacrifice made a good point that he's like, look at that new metal movement. There was a culture involved. There was a certain style that people had. There was certain clothes and things that people wore, you know, Fred Durst wearing the backwards red Yankees cap was an iconic thing. And there, there were certain clothing styles that you could look at somebody and know that was a metal head or they liked this or whatever. And there isn't really much of that going on right now. Like metal has become so um, widespread that like when I go to concerts, I, you know, back in the day when I went to concerts, every single person there looked like a metalhead. Nowadays that it's, it's people from all different walks of everywhere that are at these concerts, which is a great thing. Like it is cool to see that. But um, I do think that, like you just said, the days of those larger than life rock stars are, are kind of behind us, especially because social media has made everybody instantly accessible. You know, back, back years ago, there were bands that I idolized that like the, the closest you'd ever see to them is going to a show or maybe reading about them in a magazine. But now those artists are replying to every comment on social media and they're doing TikToks and they're, I, 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 I think it's a combination of a lot of things that have led to that, but I do think you are right. I, I think the days of the big, huge, massive rock star is pretty much gone. So, I mean, it's, it's interesting to sit and talk about because it's like, <laughs> you know, just, just the changes in the last 20 years in the music industry have been crazy. I think that new metal thing that evolved somehow from that alternative metal scene, like Nirvana and stuff, I think. Yeah. 
afterwards the new metal stuff came, came Limp Biscuit, Linkin Park, and then maybe Nickel Break, if you want to consider it. <laughs> I mean, listen, I love Nickelback. <laughs> I, dude, I, I, pe when people bring up Nickelback, they think I'm going to like say something bad. I love that band. <laughs> like they write good songs. They sound fantastic, but yeah. And now the, the funniest thing now though, is that all that movement is coming back because the kids that were teenagers when the new metal movement was happening are in their mid thirties now. So now Limp Bizkit is touring again, selling out arenas. You've got like corn. It was never went away. They're still huge. A lot of these big new metal bands, everything's a giant cycle. It's, it's just wild. And I never believed it. Cause my dad told me that when I was a kid, he's like all these cultural things and all these music stuff, it moves in cycles. And here we are in 2023 and new metal is huge again. <laughs> it's That's just wild. <laughs> um, it happens with everything. Like when now you see, I see tons of kids wearing clothes that my parents forced me to wear when I was a kid. And I'm like, no way in <laughs> Hell, I would wear this. <laughs> were were Jankos popular in Europe? Do you know what that is? I don't know what that is. No. J Janko was a clothing company that made jeans in like mm. the late 90s, early 2000s. The huge, huge wide yeah. legs. Yeah. Those yeah. are making a comeback in the States right now. And I haven't I seen know. those since like 99. <laughs> I know. I I got this. I I had those when I was at school, but like they were like somehow somehow tight, and then the 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 legs in French it was called elephants. Uh, wait, elephant legs. Makes sense, yeah. Elephant legs because it's like yeah. Like this they the the big oh. popular Janko line that they had was called mammoths, which is like the same thing. So it's like <laughs> mammoth. Yeah, like and it's the legs you could fit like five people's legs in them. I mean, they were like this wide. It was ridiculous. Um, but yeah, all that stuff's coming back. Um, but I'm since we've talked about your music so much, I'm always curious. What do you guys enjoy listening to? Like, if you're just sitting at home and you're not focusing on your own stuff, what are each of you guys enjoying listening to? Oh, that's difficult. <laughs> that's 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 everything basically. Yeah. So um, from Prince to Frank Zappa to classical guitar music and yeah, metal of course. Yeah. Okay, but but uh, but I I can't say oh that one record or that one band yeah is my favorite for the like the past year. That's, I think these times have been over for me, basically, mm -hmm. because I start to analyze too much when I listening to to music, especially to especially to to metal music. So yeah, I, I enjoy a lot of. I really like funk music, really like nice. like and that kind kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how about you, Melissa? I listen to a little bit of everything as well, um, metal, uh, pop, rock, like. Seriously, anything that is well made and that that uh, stands out for any reason, I I appreciate. Also, learning from, to be honest, because um, it's funny. To <laughs> so, I read so many comments saying, "This is metal. This is not metal. This and that." And I'm like, if only people knew that metal evolves because metal musicians listen to 
a broad spectrum of music <laughs> and bring what they hear into metal and turn it into something new or bring new sounds. And that's that's what I do both for, you know, in my free time to enjoy music and when I'm working on something new, I'm like listening to, for example, typically when we uh, when I recorded for for the Dark Side of the Moon album uh, recorded, I was recording the Legends Never Die mm -hmm. and we were paying attention to the the harmonies that were made in uh, in the original song. And I was like, I was telling Jacob, I would never have thought about things like this. It's not something I've ever heard in metal. Mm -hmm. And I feel like listening to as much music as possible um, that you like and that inspires you helps you evolve as a musician. Right. Either you like it or you don't. Either you it, it yeah, yeah. Touch, touches you, it reaches to you or not. It doesn't matter if it's metal or hard rock or uh, synthy pop or rap music even. So yeah. if it has something to say to you personally, then, yeah. then that's good. Yeah, that's that's how I feel. And admittedly, when I was younger, I was that kind of person that, you know, didn't have double bass and screaming in it. Sucks, yeah. you know? And we're all young <laughs> and we we learn and stuff like that. But I will say doing this YouTube channel has opened me up to to so much stuff. And I've always had the take on music as I've been an adult that like, I don't care what it is. If it makes me feel good, I'm going to listen to yeah. it. Yeah. Um but I, I do see a lot of comments, on, you know, people on YouTube, and it's easy for people on the internet to be trolls and to be critical. And critical is not a good word because they're not critical. They're just saying stupid things. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there, there's, there's stuff that we check out where either it's not heavy enough to some people and they're like, this isn't real metal. Or <laughs> then I, I listen to something super heavy and they're like, oh, this is just noise. Like, I don't like my metal like this. It's like, you can't win. And that's why um, recently I had uh, a lot of people leaving comments that are like, they think my, when I do reactions, which I've been doing less of lately, um, when I do reactions, people are like, they're like, you know, your, your reactions have to be fake because you, you enjoy too much stuff. I was like, well, no, I approach music in the sense of um, trying to enjoy it rather than trying to find something that I don't enjoy. So for example, it's easy to not like something if you listen to it for the first time and you're you're trying to be impressed. You know what I mean? So I've had moments where even even if I don't like a song, there are other elements that I can enjoy. For example, yeah. like there have been songs that the overall song I didn't like, but I can be like, the production on this is fantastic. Like this song isn't for me, but the production's fantastic. Like that solo was good. The vocal harmonies are good. You know, it's it's easier to find the positives out of something than try and find all the negatives in something. And there are still a lot of people that just try and find the negatives in the music they're listening to, which is kind of unfortunate. And yeah. um, Hans, one of the things I wanted to touch on that you said was you you had mentioned hip hop. I think it would blow a lot of people's minds if they knew that some of their favorite metal artists, and I'm I'm talking like extreme metal. They're, they're influenced by hip hop. Like, um, like Phil, the singer for Whitechapel, like deathcore band, he said his vocal inspiration is like three, six mafia. Mm -hmm. And then Ali from Archspire, his vocal influence is like tech nine. Like a lot of these metal vocalists are their their influences are heavily from like the rap and hip hop world because of the flow and the delivery and stuff like that. And yeah. it, it, I think people get surprised when they hear that, but 
there's also a cultural connection between hip hop and metal being kind of at times the outcasts of the music scene. So I, I, I think have to a, be in hip hop, the vocals have to be super tight rhythmically. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's not, not a bad thing, even for vocalists, I think. No. So. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I, I enjoy a lot of hip hop and uh, again, going back to the German music scene, there's actually a lot of German hip hop I've been getting into lately, even though oh, really? <laughs> I don't understand half of it because I'm still taking my German lessons. I'm getting better. Okay. Uh, but, um, yeah, it's just, I've, I've just been absolutely loving discovering music lately and it's, it's really centered around Europe. I mean, there's so much good undiscovered music out there. And, you know, even when we do my Twitch streams on the weekends, I let people request things. There are unsigned bands from different areas of Europe that are so good. That's cool. That unfortunately, just whether it's circumstance or time and place, it's like some of these bands will never get discovered by a lot of people, even though they are insanely talented. Well, it's a long way until... You make it to the top to quote someone, but, but I mean, you you have to start, go out and play clubs and mm -hmm. go on the internet and there's, there are no shortcuts, you know, we both are sitting here because we played, did play a lot of live shows and we did a lot of work, you know, you can't just wait, sit and wait for yeah. things to happen. And I also... I also think that uh, you were you were comparing to uh, the time where big rock stars um, emerged. Um, the game has changed a lot, and now you have to be a musician. You have to be a um, you have to know the technical aspect of it. You need to sometimes know how to record, how to edit. You need to know you need to be a social media manager. You need yeah, to be yeah. uh, uh, you need to be on top of the game with your administration. You need to be. Yeah, there's like so much in the job description right now that it I feel like it holds back a lot of talented musicians who are maybe not so comfortable with the rest of what's to be done. Yeah, you need to be a photographer. You need to know how to cut videos. You know, yeah. there's so much stuff. Yeah, to do that's, as a musician. That's days, a great yeah. point. I and it is. It's like. The more you have to focus on those other things, the less time you have to focus on your actual music, which is, yeah. you know, the unfortunate side effect. And but we we do see some bands that do everything in house at this point. It's like there are um, there are bands that I see music videos from that when you see the credits for the music video, it's like somebody in their band owns a production mm -hmm. company or somebody has edited it and stuff okay. like that. And you know, those are some of the bands, especially now, like you know again like i don't really get into it but like tiktok is like the big social media meta right now so it's like those bands that are cranking out tiktok content yeah tiktok is strange tiktok I, is crazy i think i'm too old for tiktok yeah me too but but <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> we're doing the flash ones we're doing quite well on tiktok because we have someone taking care of the tiktok side yeah. <laughs> for yeah. flash ones but um we had one thing that went some kind of viral on TikTok, which was our cover of Dragos Dead in, in Tame. And you immediately could see it on Spotify. You know, there was, yeah, there was, the views went up on, on TikTok. And at the same time, the, the plays on Spotify for that song went up. So that's, yeah, that's like people seem to hear it on TikTok and then go to Spotify and listen to the, to the full song, you know. 
But it's so strange because it's not natural for a musician to be in TikTok because the usual stuff you do, like the video snippets from concerts and stuff like that, that doesn't work in TikTok. Basically, you need to make a fool out of yourself. And yeah, there's a certain border which you want to cross or not as a musician. Mm -hmm. And for Feuerwehr ones, it's okay, but for other bands, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I had no joke like two days ago out of three years i've been doing social media i had my first like what i would consider actual viral moment mm -hmm. and it was because i complained about eurovision and i put it on tiktok mm -hmm. <laughs> dude it had a million views in like oh, wow. two days whoa okay and, and i was That's like cool. i was like and i was talking to my wife about this because she she's an artist and she she weaves and makes art and stuff and she's like i don't understand like I try so hard on some of these videos and stuff like that, and they never do anything. And I was like, you know what? I have realized the more time and effort that I put into something on social media, the worse it does. Mm. Yeah. And when I just put out something dumb and don't think about it, it does the best. Right. And I don't understand it. Like one of the one of the best viewed videos I have on YouTube in the last month is a video I did about the guy in the crowd at the Sleep Token concert that farted so loud that the whole crowd heard it. <laughs> <laughs> that video yeah there, i don't know if you saw that but during no. a, slow, a slow part of their set it was at a small club in sydney but are you really surprised <clears throat> no the video title itself wants me to view it right now i, I mean I yeah i mean yeah no, same. I'm not surprised. It's like <laughs> the moment the moment now i've heard from some people that it was fake but just for the lore of it we want to believe it wasn't but it was a moment where the whole band walked off stage and the singer was just playing piano and singing. And when there was a break in the music, you just hear a super loud fart and the whole crowd like laughs. That video within a week got like 175,000 views on YouTube. And I was like, why is it that when I do like a, a video that I actually put time into, nothing happens, mm. but then I do something stupid like this. And everybody was like, cause it's farts. Like people are children. <laughs> oh my so that's that's the the weird thing about the social media dynamic with music right now. It's like mm -hmm. it's it's about and we saw that when reactions were blowing up, like when reactions started blowing up over the pandemic, all the videos that did the best were the ones that had those shock value moments, whether it was, um, you know, the Pisces by Ginger, like when Tatiana mm -hmm. switches to the harsh folk, even Ding. Even the bridge and ding when you come in, Melissa, and there's harsh vocals, like <laughs> that was one of those viral reaction videos too, because it had that shock oh. moment or your your slaughter to prevail or your Lorna Shore. And oh yeah. That's why I, I see bands like um, you know, like Electric Callboy is a great example. Every one of their music videos is so ridiculously over the top because it makes for those moments. And that's what bands are doing now because again social media has changed so much for the music industry that you know it's not like the mtv days when i was a kid where i would sit for hours and just watch music videos oh yeah <clears throat> people yeah but yeah but that also means you have to the, the louder you scream the more you get heard that, that's not true that's a good thing for music you know I, yeah but also it, it it also means that people jump on the hype train and then there's like so many of the same videos yes Yep. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's why. That's why. Like Nick Nocturnal. Uh, you know, I know you guys are probably familiar with Nick. Like, we talk here and there, and it's like reactions aren't special anymore. Like a few mm -hmm. years ago, reaction videos on YouTube were like 
it felt cool doing it because I was introducing music to people and you know, it, it was something of value. Now there are so many reactors that have, that have started doing the same things that it's almost not special anymore. It's like, okay, if a new music video comes out and I don't get to it right away, there's already been 50 people that have done it. And after a while, it's just like, you know, it's the same thing over and over. And, you know, but I will say I do talk to a lot of record labels and they say they, a lot of them still see the the effect of reaction videos. Like I've had some labels tell me like, if a handful of larger YouTubers do reactions to specific releases, they'll see that on Spotify. They'll see that mm. in pre-orders for albums. Like it, it is kind of a crazy thing, but I personally don't know how much longer reactions are going to be like a, a, a popular thing on YouTube anymore, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to, somebody's going to have to find the next cool thing to do to like, you know, feature music and stuff because reactions yeah. just aren't doing it anymore and and also there there are not many that stand out like for example yours are great because you Thank explain you. something more than than just you know like watching a video and be like i liked it yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> or another one that i really uh, appreciate is um the charismatic voice oh yeah because I was so happy when she reacted to um I don't remember which song it was because she did a couple of them but she was like oh and listen to the harmony there that that's it was like oh she heard it <laughs> you know those things that in the studio you're like oh I should put this harmony nobody's gonna notice but it's gonna do something and it's like oh, she noticed <laughs> yeah and then like for her like I know her and her husband pretty well like they're really good people but there are some things that she talks about that even for me I, it's like over my head. I'm just like, mm. I, I learned something from her when I'm watching stuff because where my specialty is just gear and instruments and production, the mm. things she talks about vocally sometimes are mind blowing to me. I'm like, mm. wow, I wouldn't have even thought about that. Yeah. So it's all the stuff is very interesting. Um, but, uh, you know, before I, before I let you guys go, cause we've been here a little longer than I told you we we're going to, thank you. Um, <laughs> I've asked you both this before, but I still like to do it right now with how everything's going in the music industry and social media, touring, whatever. What are what are some of the best ways that you think um, fans of your bands and your music can help support you guys directly? Well, <laughs> first of all, buy, CD, buy the CDs. We're yeah. talking about direct support, buy the merch, stream the videos, stream the songs on, on Spotify, write comments. Tell us how you like it. Follow share. us on Instagram, Spotify, share it, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Be involved, be active, not just passive, basically. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, to everybody out there listening, just as a reminder, um, Metamorphosis, the first album from Dark Side of the Moon, released recently. There we go. Uh, <laughs> May 12th, it came out already. It's out now. It's a fantastic record. I love it. I, I listened to it start to finish twice last night when I, or two nights ago when uh, I was doing stuff. Um, Melissa's band, Ad Infinitum, <laughs> released <laughs> their third album, Downfall, on March 31st. That's available everywhere. And then on July 7th, the brand new Feuerschwanz. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't even notice you were wearing that. Um, the uh, brand new Feuerschwanz album comes out July 7th. It's called Fegafeuer. I'm excited for that one as well. 
you guys have a lot going on, man. So I, I appreciate the time that you took to uh, sit here and talk with me today. This was super fun to catch up with you guys. Thanks a lot Thank for the so invitation. Yeah, yeah, of course. Always fun to talk to you. And yeah. And again. Hopefully one of these days I'll actually get to meet you guys in person, whether I come over to Europe. I, I might I might be in Germany in September. All right. Yeah. Let us know and then we, we will meet somewhere. For sure. Well, thank you guys once again, and uh, I hope you have a, a, a great rest of your evening, and I hope to talk to you guys soon. Yeah. Same have here. a good day. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Thank you. See ya. Well, that's going to just about wrap up episode 25 of the podcast. Thank you so much once again to Hans and Melissa for joining on here. Fantastic people, man. I mean, this is one of the cool parts about doing this podcast is getting to know some of these band members that I actually like their music. When they turn out to be really cool people, it's just awesome all around. And I hope you guys enjoyed hearing about them as well. Uh, good luck to them with everything coming up. Cause again, they just don't stop, man. They're always busy. They're always touring. Uh, just as a reminder that dark side of the moon album metamorphosis did drop on May 12th. It's fantastic. Uh, the new Foyash fonts is coming out in July, July 7th. The album is called Fagafoya. And the Ad Infinitum album, Chapter 3 Downfall, released back in March. Also a fantastic album. And if you are watching this on YouTube, I'll have links to all of their social medias and all of the places where you can check out this music and all of these albums and stuff like that. But that's going to be enough for me, man. Again, thank you so much to everybody that took the time to watch or listen wherever you're checking out this podcast. Wherever you are in the world, be safe. Be kind to each other. I love all of you for taking the time to listen. And I will be back very soon with another episode of the Back Lounge Podcast.